You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. The year was 1986. And in 1986, I was 16 years old. And as many 16-year-olds, I was looking to get my first car. So my father said that he had a friend who had a car for sale. And just as a side note, unless your father's friend works at a car dealership, you probably don't want to go. Uh, But we did. We drove out at this time. We were living in Augusta, National Hills, and we drove out to Martinez and went to my father's friend's house. Let's call him Jerry uh, because that was his name. Jerry, we'll call him Jerry. And so Mr. Jerry uh, welcomed us and proceeded to walk us around the house into the backyard. Another side note, if the car that you're going to buy is in the backyard of the friend of your father, then you could probably be rest assured assured you're not about to turn the corner and see some hidden gem. Uh, so we, uh, G-E-M, and so we walked around the corner and as I saw the car, I hoped that my face did not belie the feelings that were going on on the inside of my stomach as I looked at what it appeared to be a dumpster fire on wheels. So I'll show you a picture of what, it's not the actual car, but it is pretty much what it looked like. Yeah, I'm not kidding either. Now, this car did drive, but, and we started it and all of that kind of stuff. But as we're doing and talking and being friendly with my father's friend, I'm thinking, surely my father's not going to buy this car from Mr. Jerry. We will go on and keep looking for another vehicle for me to drive. And so, much to my chagrin, my dad actually did buy that car. And I thought to myself, I don't want to drive this to school. Uh, Now, fortunately, I never did drive it to school because although we did drive it home, my dad didn't think that it was uh, safe enough to drive anywhere else at that point in time. So I had a car that I couldn't drive, that I didn't want to drive, but it was there. And now it was sitting in front of our house. Now, I know my father had grand illusions of us restoring this car together, a father and son project for the ages, and yet soon he realized that he was not a restorer of cars, neither was I, and we had no friends that were or wanted to give their time to such an overwhelming project. So, my dad saw that car, eyesore that it was, sitting in front of our house day after day, not really moving anywhere, and decided, as he often did with a rash decision, he was just going to sell it himself. So he sold that car away, and it never was driven by me. Now fast forward a couple of years, and the people who bought the car from my dad at that time, now just in case you think I upgraded, I went from that to like a a 65 Comet Mercury. So it wasn't much better, but that's what I did drive to school. Now, the people decide they're going to drive back and show us what they've done with the car, and it looked a little bit like this. Yeah. 
1956 Ford Fairlane restored to pristine condition, back to its days of glory, if you will. Actually better than its original because they had added some things on the inside and the wheels and all of that. But if I was thinking if that's what that car looked like when we first bought it, of course my dad probably wouldn't have paid whatever he paid for it, but that I would have driven to school. I'd still be driving that thing. I don't know, maybe dad was having these illusions of his first car or something, and it's like, hey, but the bottom line is, that's not what the car looked like when we had it. They restored it, and it looked like that. It was phenomenal, restored to its former glory and even better. Now, whether it's a car or a house or whatever the case may be, the greatest proof of me, one of them, of the Imago Dei, the image of God that's imprinted in each of us, is the fact that we love restoration projects. We really do. We love them. I truly think that's the reason why every restoration or makeover show does fairly well or is, is kind of universally enjoyed and liked. So whether it's an old house, an antique, a collectible, a car, a yard, whatever it is, you name it. We love to see things that were broken down, old, useless apparently, made new and restored to their former glory. Like, like better than before. We could say it this way because it's super satisfying, right? I'm like When I see stuff like that, it's like, man, that is so satisfying. And if I could take a little bit of license with the Westminster Catechism, I could say it this way. We are most satisfied when things are restored to their most glorifying intent. Now watch this because that's exactly what the Father is going to do, has done, and is going to do through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to make all things right. He's going to restore all of creation to its original glorifying intent. He's actually going to make it even better than it was before. And at the same time, the good news of the gospel, which is an already and a not yet, a now and a not yet, is that this is taking place in Christ. Right now, we're being restored and renewed. Renewed while we await the day that Jesus rounds the corner in the clouds in the 1956 pristine Ford Fairlane with your name on it and you could trade in your old clunker of a life and join him on the highway to heaven if you want to take it that far with the metaphor. Or whatever car you want. I don't know what it is, but that was ours. I'm a little bit ahead of myself. But last week we talked about redemption. But redemption in the, in the scope of what God is doing is like the late night infomercial. Wait, there's more. God did not just buy us back to buy us back and keep us in the condition that we are in. The story doesn't end with redemption. God purchased us, yes. He restored us, ransomed us, bought us at a price. And the cost of our old junked up lives was the blood of Jesus paid by God to God in Christ. And now we are being restored, renewed, as we wait for the culmination of that restoration when Christ returns. And at that time, God has promised to renew the whole world. That's what he's going to do. And the Bible gives us a peek into this glorious future of this restoration, this new heaven, this new creation, and new earth. And the restoration of all things is going to take place two ways. Christ will return to judge sin and evil, and he will usher in righteousness and peace. And God will purge this world of evil once and for all. 
That means he will purge the world of purge movies. Y'all laughed more than the first service. Sometimes I don't even try it because nobody laughed. Other times I'm just like most fathers. I'm like, I'm going to keep trying until somebody laughs. So I won't say it anymore. We are in our final week of our series, Alpha and Omega, the story of Scripture. And we're looking at the overarching arc, if you will, of of biblical history and really our history of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration or new creation. We've also been discovering that beyond the main structure, if you will, of the biblical macro story, it's also repeated again and again through the biblical micro stories of different people in the Bible, also including your story and my story, which is a part of God's story, right? It's not that I'm making him a part of my story, it's that we want to be a part of his story. And all of our stories start in the same place that junked up car in the backyard. It starts in ruin. And aren't you glad that we serve an almighty God who is able to take the ruins of our lives and restore it to something that is glorifying to his name? I know I am. It's such a powerful truth of the gospel. So let's first talk about the telos of restoration. That, that, that means the consummation, the, the end of the earth as we know it, uh, to quote R.E.M., right? Let's talk about what the end of the earth as we know it, of the restoration when Christ returns. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 20 and 21. Now, I will not be in one particular text this morning, so you can't just put your... Bible open and that's where we're going to be. I'm going to kind of be going all over because there is a a future side of restoration and there's a a right now side of restoration and already and a not yet. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But let's start in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Where's our citizenship? There you go. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. How often do you think about long for Christ's return and or heaven? How often do you think about, man, I just cannot wait, God, for you to wrap this all up and make it all right? Now, I think the older we get, the more we think about it. But we don't think about it often enough, especially when we're younger. And I believe it's because we think of heaven in terms of this caricatured church lore kind of thing. We think of heaven like white robes and harps and and clouds and above the stratosphere and then we're going to sing holy 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 just over and over and over and over again until it's like the more we think about it it causes this theological brain freeze and we're like I don't really want to do that that sounds awful why would I want to go there at least here we sing some different words I think it's really because we have a lack of understanding of what heaven and restoration is going to look like. It's not because it's going to be boring. It's not because it's going to be less than or some not not live up to what I've experienced here. No, it's going to be far, far greater. I believe part of the problem is what C.S. Lewis said when he said this, we are far too easily satisfied with the pleasures of this world so we don't actually long for the glories of heaven. 
Like, I'm good, God. This is kind of cool. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying all of this. And that doesn't mean that we don't have things to enjoy and that we shouldn't. However, if something is better than what we've ever had or ever experienced, better than the best thing that we can imagine, like let's even say the Garden of Eden, why in the world would we not long for that type of restoration for our world? And as I said, I think it could be a lack of understanding. We really don't, we don't know and see. We can't like completely how amazing and wonderful it is. I think other times it's misplaced desires. And so our desire for heaven is like eighth down the list of our desires for whatever else we've got above God and, and being with him forever and ever. And then thirdly, one of the big reasons is, is because some of us or many of us from time to time, like we've all been there where we were lost, but there are people that are still lost and don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So why would they long? for something they have no idea about I think this is all there is maybe you've heard people talk or preach or speak about the future when it comes to the church in terms of restoring Eden like the restoration of Eden we're going to go back to the garden but speaking of new creation and restoration in terms of restoring Eden is actually a reduction I believe of what God has planned for his people and for this world Eden was never intended to be the end. It was the beginning of something that God made that was very good. But it was always headed somewhere, somewhere even more glorious. The Bible tells us that it's a, a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Or Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is incredible, beautiful imagery speaking of something that we can't really wrap our minds around as I said when I used to think about heaven as a kid in my bed at night it would just freak me out like I would just I can't think about that I can't wrap my finite mind around this infinite idea and heaven is much that way so let me paint a better picture of kind of where we are which you really know but I'll just paint it here's the backdrop of where we are versus the foreground of where we're supposed to be where we're growing towards and let's see if there's a, a, a difference, something that we should long for. COVID, sickness, death, hatred, racism, poverty, hunger, war, starvation, and on and on and on I could go or in the background. And that is what we're a part of right now. Just some of it. The new creation where we're supposed to make our home forever will be completely safe, completely secure. Revelation 21 says nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. It will be a vast city filled with ransom people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, Revelation 5 says. And as the bride of Christ, we will share this home with our perfect bridegroom. We won't just hear the sound of his footsteps like in Genesis 3 but Revelation says that we will actually even better see him face to face that's powerful 
I wanted this morning's title to the message to be, Get the Hell Out. But since I said that word last week, I decided not to say it again this week for fear of being put on restriction by my own mother. So instead of using the word hell again, I I decided not to put it in. And the title of this morning's message is Burnt Stones and Broken Vessels. But the truth of the matter is, is and I love how the author of the book Skeletons in God's Closet speaks of hell in relation to new creation is God's purpose is not to get us out of earth and into heaven. It's to reconcile heaven and earth. Like we have this paradigm that we think of heaven as a place way up there above the clouds that we're going to go to and that hell is a place way down there, I don't know, beneath the core of the earth. So it's like above ground and underground and they're like these, these spiritual places and yet what we see and what we read and what the Bible tells us is there's a real paradigm shift for most of us that God's agenda is to get the hell out of earth as the author goes on to say hell is not a place God creates to torture people but a power that God contains to protect the overflowing life of his new creation his restored creation that's what he cares about Let's look at Luke 24 and we'll see a little bit more about this physical new earth and new world and restored creation. We find this interesting conversation between Jesus and his disciples. It starts in verse 40. And here's what it says. Whoops, that's too far. Matthew, Mark, Luke. There we go. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, like, he's here. What in the world? This is Jesus. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Can you just imagine this situation? Like, like, everybody's just freaking out. They're celebrating the fact that that Jesus just showed up and that he's alive. And Jesus is still like, they're like, you know, you can see him in the pregame, getting all hype. And Jesus like, yo, I'm hungry. Y'all got anything to eat? So they did. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Oh, yeah, we got some broiled fish right here. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. Tim Keller argues that this seemingly minor detail about food makes actually a major point about Jesus. That he was body and spirit. And he was raised from the dead. Right? He did not merely appear to his followers in a dream. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't just simply living on in the memory of those who loved him. He was there. He was risen in the flesh from the dead. And the fact that Jesus could show his disciples his hands and his feet, the fact that he could eat broiled fish for for breakfast, even though I wouldn't want to do that, but that's what he, he did. And he demonstrated that the hope of the resurrection included a renewed physical body also in a physical world that he said he was the first of the resurrected ones who was going to have a physical body in a physical world here's the good news the resurrection promises promises us more than consolation for the suffering and death we experience in this world it promises restoration the resurrection means nothing is truly lost The old car gets restored. It's not lost. 
The old life gets redeemed and renewed. It's not lost. As Christians, we don't believe the old axiom, all good things must come to an end. Actually, as Christians, we believe that all that is genuinely good and from God never ends. Never. It's restored. It's renewed. The good news is better than the bad news is bad. And there's plenty of bad news. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And so, brothers of mine, stand firm. Let nothing move you as you busy yourselves in the Lord's work. Let's just stop right there. This has nothing to do with this message. But can I just say that much of what we deal with problematically could be solved very simply if we would just busy ourselves in the Lord's work, not just busy ourselves? Oh, we're busy. But is it the Lord's work? Because if I'll busy myself in the Lord's work, what Scripture's saying, what Paul's saying is, nothing will move me and I will stand firm. And then he goes on to say, be sure of this, that nothing you do for him is ever lost or ever wasted. That, my friends, is good news. That's the problem now, right? That is often we feel, and rightly so, that we've wasted time. We've wasted prayers. We've wasted our efforts. We've wasted emotions. Maybe even portions of us, if not the entirety of us, feel it sometimes like we've wasted our lives. Depending on how old or young, it doesn't really matter. You could say, well, I just feel like I've wasted my life up to this point. But here's what the gospel says. No matter if you feel like you've wasted your life, or maybe you feel like you've lost something that you can't regain, and it's crushing your soul to think this is lost. The really good news of the gospel is that nothing is ever wasted or lost in Christ. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The temporary, the outside, the flesh, if you will, the suit that I'm in is going to waste away while our internal inheritance is being renewed on the inside day by day. And Paul is wanting us to understand that Christians' inner life is constantly being transformed into glory even as the earthly embodiment of who we are decays and eventually dies. The present tense being renewed, that's what he says. We're being renewed. That's present. It points to a continuing process. The self does not, the new self that is, does not decay or grow old. But by contrast, it's being renewed. And as it's being renewed, it's taking on more and more of the image of its creator. Being renewed expresses a continuous process of renewal. The phrase day by day suggests that it is being repeated all over again. Each and every day I'm being renewed. And Paul has said that this renewal comes through my continual fellowship with the risen Christ and the power of the Spirit so that the believer is being transformed, Colossians says, into the likeness of my Savior with ever-increasing glory. So even though on the outside things don't always look good, on the inside, God's doing something. And you know the problem with inner transformation is? The hardest part of inward restoration is a lot of people don't see it. 
And let's be honest. Go ahead, we're in church. Let's be honest. We want people to see good things about us. That's why social media is such a big deal. That's why people love it. I want you to see the good about me. I want you to see there's something good about me. I want you just to see me. And as a matter of fact, here's the problem. People can't see what God's doing on the inside. And here's the worst part about it. Sometimes God's doing a work on the inside, but on the outside, we're externally still wasting away. And it seems to be like this crystal clear sign to everybody else that God's not with you anymore. Kind of brings a whole new understanding to the scripture that man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart. So while man's looking at the outside and seeing all these things, it seems to be like God's forgotten you and doesn't care about you anymore. Look at all the stuff that you're walking through right now that they don't see what God sees and that's a restoration and an ever-increasing accumulation of glory in your heart. That's why it's hard. What did you do to make God mad? (laughs) Wow. You're a Christian? Same thing that happened to Paul, just so you know. He kind of got shipwrecked, maybe if you know some of the story, and as he kind of comes up after surviving a shipwreck, no doubt, one of the first things that happens to him on shore is a snake grabs a hold and bites him and hangs on to his arm, hand. You're like, and literally, if I'm watching this too, I'm like, dude, what did you do to hack God off? And that's exactly what the people standing around asked. Like, you, what God are you serving? Man, you survive a shipwreck, first thing you do is get bitten by a snake when you come out. But what they didn't see was what God was doing on the inside of Paul. That all the outside looked like God had forgotten him, but on the inside, God was just increasing the weight of glory that he wanted the Apostle Paul to carry. So here's the thing. If we could see things like they should be and not as they are, How many things would change in our world, church, if we could see people as they should be, not just as they are? If we could see things that are going on around us as it should be in Christ and not just as it is, how many things would we actually do? How many steps of faith might we make and how many restoration missions might we undertake and enjoy to the glory of God the Father if we would just see things as they should be and not how they currently are? are I can't pass this up so Nehemiah is one of my favorite stories so let me just read this passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 I told you I would be a little bit all over the place this morning but just bear with me when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that would be Nehemiah and the people of God he became angry and was greatly incensed he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria he said what are those feeble Jews doing Kind of making fun of them, right, in front of everybody else. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those big heaps of rubble burned as they are? That's really how the wall looked, right? It was, it was in shambles. It was torn to, it, 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 just in piles of rubble, if you will, based on all the, the wars and overtaking that had gone on in the city. And all that was left were these piles of burnt stones of this wall that was broken down. Fire had damaged them. And if they were limestone, which most people believe, that that means they were cracked and they were crumbling. 
And yet as the story goes, Nehemiah, along with the people of God, rebuilt this wall in record time with these burnt stones, restored the wall and the city to its former glory. I would say even better because they all had a hand in it and had ownership with it. And, and the parallel to me is obvious. That because God takes our cracked, crumbling, burnt lives that people look at from the outside and go, what kind of rubble, what kind of thing can be made out of that? And then God takes us by his grace and he takes those burnt stones of our lives and he puts them on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, our foundation, and he builds us up, scripture says, into a spiritual house of safety and security and glory to his name. Can somebody say amen? I'm being built up. I'm being built up. And it doesn't matter how bad or burnt my old life is because it's not about my old life. It's about the new life that I have and the foundation that I'm built on is as secure as there could ever be. It's Jesus Christ. How about Peter? We fast forward to the New Testament. How about that story? You talk about a burnt stone. Isn't it amazing that Peter was called the rock and yet, not Dwayne Johnson, but he was called the rock on which Christ was going to build his church really in a practical sense that the early church started. He's the church father, the early church fathers. That that burnt stone of his life became a foundation and strength for the early disciples in the early church. But he was burned by life as he denied that he even knew Jesus during three different questionings. Peter loved Jesus, but prior to Jesus' trial and crucifixion, Peter believed he loved Jesus more than he loved his own life, which means to say that he actually thought he loved Jesus more than he did. He even said so during the Passover meal that they were sharing together and Jesus prophesied that Peter would betray him, that he was gonna pray for him, but he was gonna betray him. And Peter vehemently protested and proclaimed his fidelity to Jesus. Then in just a matter of hours after that, after Jesus, after Jesus had prophesied and Peter gives this sincere vow of loyal love to the death, all it took was a servant's girl's accusation. And Peter heard himself utter the words that he said that he would never say. I don't know him once, twice, and then a third time. I don't know him. His life was devastated in ruins as he realized what he had done. But what he didn't know is that God restores what the enemy tries to destroy. And even though it didn't look like mercy at the time, Jesus was mercifully preparing Peter for a restoration, if you will. In the mercy of God, this failure would discipline Peter, not define him. In the mercy of God, the failures in our lives can discipline us and help us to be restored to an even greater version of ourself, not define us. And he would turn again to Jesus, be restored, and when he did, he was better equipped to strengthen his fellow believers as the church was birthed. Peter's restoration took place after another meal with Jesus, an early morning post-resurrection breakfast on the beach, again with fish and bread, some of y'all might like breakfast like that all the time. I'm not signing up for that. But in this interchange with Peter, Jesus asked him three times some form of the question, what? Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
You know that had to hurt Peter's, just from his guilt and his shame and his, and his regret from what he'd done, that had to hurt him. He was still reeling from all that. But all three times, Peter affirmed his wholehearted love for Jesus. You know I love you, Jesus. One loving declaration of his love for the Lord for every horrible, unloving denial that he'd given. But not only did Jesus forgive Peter's sins and redeem his denials in that moment, Jesus also restored Peter to his ministry of fishing for men and the calling to be the part of the church. And remember what I said about restoration. It's usually better than it was before. And Peter's life was no different. See, Peter was now weaker, which meant that he could be stronger in the ways that mattered more. Peter was now humbled, which meant that he wasn't going to walk around in prideful arrogance anymore. Peter had turned from Jesus, but now he'd returned and was restored to Jesus to do exactly what Jesus had called him to do in the first place. Peter, having experienced the grace of Jesus, was taken from ruin to restoration and was now prepared more than ever before to strengthen his brothers in the faith, to share the gospel, and to do the Lord's work in the Lord's strength, not his own, which oftentimes failed. So Jesus ended Peter's restoration service with perhaps the most merciful words that he could say to a loving disciple who had failed so dramatically. Follow me. I want you to know that I believe God's doing some restoring right now in your lives, in the lives of people that call this place home. I believe he's doing some restoring in this church, at In Focus Church. It's a work of his spirit. It's a work of his grace. And we apprehend it by faith. He's taking some things that looked less than useful like burnt stones, and he's turning them into a magnificent wall, if you will, safety and security. He's taking the self-sufficient, prideful arrogance of a disciple and humbling us into such a way that it would turn it into a martyr's love. I don't know if your life looks like a pile of rubble or if you feel like that, kind of cracked, broken, useless, lying off to the side, not noticed by anybody, you feel like you've been burned by life. You feel like you've been burned by people. Or maybe you feel like an ashamed disciple wondering if God would ever be able to use your life again because of your past failures. My friends, the answer is unequivocally, yes, your life can be used and restored. Yes, it can be redeemed and it has been through Jesus Christ's blood. And yes, it can be restored and it will be and it can be even today. That's what the gospel is all about. God is a restorer of the broken lives that we had. He restores. And when God restores our lives, it's even better than it was before. I want to use a little visual today. I'm going to ask him to bring out some milk crates. I'm just kidding. I am not doing that. Y'all like, no, I don't want to see the pastor fall or break his neck. Me either. So what I want to do this morning, and I hope this will help you remember a little bit of what I'm talking about is how God takes our lives and what it looks like to the outside. Let me read this scripture first. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while 
I don't want to suffer. Actually, yes, you do. You want to share in the sufferings of Christ. And after you have for a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So, this uh, little tray right here is uh, 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 something we have at our house, right? It belongs to my wife, and I brought it this morning, as does this tea kettle, um, or water kettle, what do you even call it? Now, I'm not much of a, I drink some tea, I like tea, it's fine. I prefer coffee and lots of it. Saw an article the other day that said at least four cups of coffee is good for you. I mean, I've the articles go back and forth, like bad, good, bad, good. I'm sticking with good, and uh, if four is good, then eight's even better. So, like, my heart is really good. Um, so, tea. And, and, and if you look at this, man, this is so, like, I'll, I'll pull this, like, so y'all see. How's it, is that better? Y'all can see better now. So, there's, it's, it's, it's pretty. Like, man, this is pretty. Look, this pretty. It's like tea box, I guess it's called. I don't know what it's called. It's a pretty box. We got all kinds of tea. I didn't bring Carla's favorite tea because I didn't want to accidentally leave it here and her want tea later. So I brought like tea that we probably don't drink all the time, like sleepy time tea and breathe deep tea and, and country peach passion tea and all kinds of tea and nice little tea bags that are so cute and, and yeah, all this stuff. And if I look at that from the outside, it's like, man, that is an amazing little tea cart. You come to our house and it's sitting on this nice piece of furniture and you look at it and it's like, wow, that is so, this is an amazing family. Look at that beautiful tea cart. So pretty. Problem is, like I said a moment ago, is that that's what's on the outside. What's going on on the inside? Now, I called a friend of mine earlier this week because I was asking him to pray for some things. And actually, he called me. I'm sorry. I, he called me back, said, look, I want to pray for you. And as we're talking, he's a pastor in, in Orlando. And he said, Pastor Brent, or he just called me Brent. And I uh, said, yeah. He said, you know, God is strengthening the faith of your church. He's strengthening the faith of your people. And on the outside, right, it, it, like everything looks sometimes like, oh, it's really nice. And, and then other times it's, it, it doesn't. But right now it's like, oh, he's strengthening faith. He's like, and then he said, you know, your faith's like a tea bag. And I'm like, where's this going? It's like, yeah, it's like a tea bag, but it does no good just being here as a tea bag, right? Looks good. Looks good on the outside, but it's actually not making any tea. So while I'm saying all this, right, I've got this thing over here heating up, and it's boiling now. And so what God does with our faith, you see that steam? Woo, it's hot. It's the outside of our life that everybody sees, a nice little Georgia cup. And our faith, which is not gonna actually be good until it actually starts to be in action, because it's not good sitting in the box, but the action of this faith is it allows God to take kind of the fragility of my life, because this is real thin, and it's, you know, it's not, not, not very protected, and I drop it into there, and I take this scalding, boiling, steaming hot water, and I begin to pour it over that tea bag. And this is the part that nobody sees because they, well, where's the tea bag? And let me just tell you that hot water 
scalding water is painful, right? And to our lives, the things that we're going through, the suffering and the pain and the difficulty, it hurts. It's not easy. But my faith is being strengthened. And the longer I steep in that difficulty, the longer that I'm sitting in this thing that nobody look, can see. It's like, what happened to Brent's faith? What happened to the church? What happened to your life? What happened to this thing? It's like, I know on the outside, it looks like I disappeared. I know on the outside, you can't see what's going on. But right now, my life and the church is steeping in some difficulty that God is using to refine our faith because it takes heat to refine. And after a while... The longer that it steeps in this painful heat, eventually the tea bag comes out. And you know what an old tea bag looks like? It just doesn't look good. It kind of gets thrown away. But that faith mixed with action, mixed with the heat of refinement, creates something that tastes good to those who see your life. Oh, I didn't see that going on behind the scenes. Oh, I didn't know, Peter, that when you were denying Jesus and he said he was praying that you would persevere, I didn't know that he was actually being merciful to you and preparing you for something that you would not have been able to do had you not gone through that refining and that heat. Oh, I didn't know, Brent, that, that, that God was preparing the church to do what he called them to do when all of a sudden on the outside it looked like things were going on and yet God was doing something on the inside as the heat began to be turned up and we began to be refined and the church began to grow in their faith to be a faithful people that they were not before until they walked through the heat of that refinement. And yes, it's going to taste good to those around us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So this speaks of restoration. It's invisible both to the outsider and to the believer himself, only known to us by faith. And you know what? It protects that faith from the encroachment of pride because it hurt, and I would never do that myself, which would turn in spiritual renewal that God does in a broken vessel, not in a perfect vessel. A perishable body subject to pain and decay. Those whose eyes are not on the seen and the transient, but on the unseen and the eternal, can detect beneath the decay of the outer nature and the inner life, which is being daily renewed. God's renewing you, and he's renewing us. And sometimes people don't see it. But God looks at the heart, and he sees what nobody else, else sees. And he's taking you to a place while being restored and renewed day by day, to one day where he's going to wrap all this up and he's going to restore everything to even better than it was before. And in the meantime, we have the opportunity being restored to help others know that the pile of rubble of their life and their past and the junk in the backyard of their life can be restored just like anybody else. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. 
Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from, and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.